0: All right, let's kick it. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and sober coach. My addiction has shaped the person I am today and given me the ability and voice to help others, and I simply wouldn't be here without it. Recovery is possible. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we talk to other recovering alcoholics and addicts. We hear their stories and hope to help others who may still be struggling. Head on over to the sobrietydiaries.com where you can apply to be a guest on the show and join our insiders list for early release episodes, exclusive content, and much more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Happy sober day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading the episode today and for spending time with us here on the Sobriety Diaries. The support is is truly appreciated more than you know, and the reason that we continue to do what we do. So thanks for spending time with us today. We have got an amazing episode for you today. Dr. Rob Kelly, he is a PhD and addiction specialist who has On one hand, played bass guitar with Elton John and David Bowie and recorded at Abbey Road. And on the other hand, he has been homeless on the streets in London and, you know, everything in between. And he has turned that experience and knowledge and education so selflessly now into a practice helping recovering alcoholics and addicts here in the United States. So... We will touch on his own journey. We will touch on the practice and the services that they offer. So let's open the diary on Dr. Rob Kelly. Dr. Rob Kelly, PhD, addiction specialist. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to our chat. How's your day going?
1: Going awesome. Now, Nate, I'm all with you. Now I've got to speak to you. It's going good.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Um, Ditto, my friend. I sort of went down a YouTube rabbit hole today of Dr. Rob Kelly videos. So (laughs) I feel probably closer (laughs) to you than you do me. But uh, um, here on the Sobriety Diaries, we typically start with walking through your own journey uh, from addiction to recovery. And then I certainly want to talk about the amazing work you're doing today and the services that you offer I think it's the perfect fit for our listeners. So if that sounds good to you, why don't we walk through your journey
1: together? Excellent. So my name is Dr. Rob Kelly. Guys, they call me the addiction doctor. Um, My story starts when I'm an alcoholic and I like drugs. I put that in there before we start. Um, So my journey starts when I was nine years old. Slightly dysfunctional family, musical family, thrown on stage at nine, playing bass with my auntie and uncle in nightclubs and pubs. Uh, took my first drink at nine years old it got rid of all my nerves all my hesitancies and made me feel oh so good so I knew I'd found something I could take looking back now that was the point when I became an alcoholic would you believe after studying years and years and years about the brain alcoholism neural pathways and the neuroplasticity uh, I knew then that that was the case but you know alcohol was my friend for a long time hmm. a long time it gave me he put me in situations I felt comfortable. I don't mean dangerous situations. I mean, with girls or uh, at school, you know, stuff like this. If, if I hadn't been drinking, I wouldn't have gone for the job at Abbey Road. Therefore, I wouldn't have met Bowie, Queen, Elton John, all them great guys. It began to take over. As I got to Abbey Road, that was that seemed quite heavy for me when we were there. But it was, it was all part of the deal. I mean, you know, nowadays it's different. But back then, who doesn't use drugs and drink? Alcohol. Right. Especially in a studio setting, you'd have you'd have been trapped down and and, and uh, patted down for a bug or something if, if if you said I don't <laughs> want any cocaine or I don't want any alcohol, right. thank you. So that's the kind of industry I grew up in. And uh, of course I I watched Abbey paid pay for myself through Oxford University, got there from a Freemason friend of mine, not because of my abilities. I had to I had to now I had to prove myself when I was at school. Schooling was great. Everyone tells me, you know, the reason I'm alcoholic, Rob, is because of your schooling. No. Because of your parents. No. Because of the abuse. No. Because of the Vietnam War. No. And the reason why I'm an alcoholic is I'm born this way. It's a predisposition biologically uh, around the brain, usually, and uh, neural pathways and self-sabotage. So I'm never good enough. I'm never tall enough, blonde enough, thin enough, or rich enough. That's just the way I'll always think. So all good, going through college, uh, went to the police force after that. They fired me for being drunk.
0: <laughs> Imagine I mean,
1: that. I know, a couple of drinks before you go and do What is right. wrong with that? You know, <laughs> I thought everybody did it, but no, frowned on. Started with a telecom company, was doing quite well, uh, and then got mm. married. thought, let's get mm. married. And between that and something else I was doing, I was kind of setting up, a prat- little practice, because I still wanted to work with alcoholics, because I knew that something deep down inside wasn't right. And there was addiction in the family. But somewhere along the line, it all went terribly wrong. And this is after uh, the marriage. I got married because, hey, Nate, getting married will sort my uh, drinking problems out, surely.
0: Right, exactly. Focus on someone else and, instead okay, of ourselves. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. It didn't work. So we had this nice house, cars, new cars every year. Business is going great swore to my wife when the baby was born, I will never drink again. Worst four hours of my life. Second child came along, took two Bibles to the, to the, uh, to the uh, hostel, two Bibles, one hand on each Bible. I swear before you, before the kids and God, I'll never drink again. Worst three hours of my life and so on and so forth. So I came down uh, early in the morning to the kitchen because I needed a drink and I knew quite well I had a bottle somewhere. So I searched for this bottle madly. Now, an alcoholic who needs to drink, find a bottle of vodka in the cupboard, is like probably me giving a stranger a million dollars. It's just, oh, was just like, oh, my God, the feeling. Right. Oh, unbelievable. So I tuck it down with care. Do you want to make sure I didn't drop it? Put it on the side of the counter. It's 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, so I can't get anywhere else. So I'm being gentle. I turn around for a crystal glass because, hey, I'm not an alcoholic now. <laughs> so I got this beautiful 25, 30 pound crystal glass. I turned around and my wife had taken the bottle away with her. And I turned around and she said, I think you've had enough. Let's think about it for a second. It's probably my third tall bottle within 24 hours. I was due to drive to the office in three hours time and hold a board meeting. So I should have said, thank you, Mrs. Kelly. and have gone to bed, but I didn't. I took the kitchen knife out and I stabbed my wife three times. And I grabbed my bottle and continued to finish drinking it. And I called the police in the ambulance when I heard the sirens. I jumped into a waiting cab and I went to uh, Spain. And I was there about three months before they I all agreed not to press charges because she went to hospital and she lived. So I think it was something like attempted murder charges, they want to stick on me. But I was so drunk, I don't remember at the time. So when I come after from Spain, she left. She left me. She got the kids. And as soon as I opened the door, fresh from the airport, back from Spain. Uh, I opened the door and she took her bags and she loaded it into the car and she said to me these words. She said, Rob, I will love you to the day I die, but I'm not going to let you kill our children. And she left. I was so angry, Nate. I was, I was like, you can't do this to me. Do you know who I am? You know, mm. the poor me, me, me. So I got my attorney who went to get an in- emergency injunction or something and the next day he brought my children back. I gave him a large check, took my two girls in, aged around one and three, something in front of the TV I turned the TV on, and Nate, I went into the kitchen. Now, imagine everything's just happened. It's very close together. I went in the kitchen, and the thought pattern hit my head. Wouldn't it be great to have one beer to celebrate my children coming home? Hmm. Three days later, when the police kicked the door down, because the children hadn't been fed for two or three days, not being changed diapers, and Dad was drunk with probably 15 to 20 bottles of vodka around him, all empty. So I was obviously driving to the liquor store with the kids in the back of the car. Uh, they served with unfit father papers, and it was the saddest day of my life because they took him away from me. I was a chronic alcoholic. I was desperate. I was beaten. I was battered. or I thought, walked to the to the front of the door, and she was holding mommy's hand. The big girl, you know the way they reached up from mommy's hand, and they're yeah. walking down the path. And my eldest daughter who was three. Said to me, "Daddy, daddy, please don't go." And then they walked further down the path, and she turned around again, and she said, "Daddy, daddy." Um. I said, Daddy, Daddy, please get better. And if she got the gate, they opened these, these gates and she turned around one more time, Nate, and she said, Daddy, Daddy, please start drinking. And I couldn't do it. I went back into the kitchen. I opened that darn fridge up again. And I started drinking. Probably about six months later than that, I'd lost my children, my cars, my houses, my, 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 my business. My parents wouldn't speak to me, my brother and sister disown me, friends disown me. I went from mom and dad to friends, from friends to acquaintances and from acquaintances to the streets. And I remember sat there the first night, Nate, and I'm thinking, where the hell did that just go wrong? But the crazy thing is, and for those alcoholics out there who are listening to this, I still didn't think I had a problem. Just some bad luck going through. Didn't relate this at all to alcoholic self. But I stayed on the streets for 14 months, fighting for my life every single day. Wow. Just fighting with people, mm-hmm. dodging knives. I woke up one morning, the guy next to me had been stabbed to death for his sneakers. That's the kind of world I was in. And I came accustomed to it. But one day in the morning, pouring down with rain, I had a spiritual experience, and it got me off the streets. And then I swore, because that I didn't believe in God or spiritual things, anything like that. I have a spiritual way of life today, so I, I swore to the higher power that I found on those streets that for the rest of my life, I would travel around the world and help people who suffer from my disease and their families. That's the most important thing as well. That everyone misses the families out. And that's what I do today. I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, I wanted to do a couple of things when I came to America. One was write a book, and the other one was be on national TV from millions and millions and millions of people watching me. And I've checked all my boxes. And I continue to work with people. I continue to have a great time. I continue to enjoy life. And uh, I live every day as if it's my last.
0: Such a powerful story. Wow. You said a couple of things that I want to touch on because I can relate to so much. The fact that you said alcohol was your friend and... It encouraged you and motivated you to do things. I experienced the same thing. I was growing in the ranks of of my career. And, you know, I was attributing these things to the fact that we were able to relate over alcohol. Um, of course, it progressed to a much uglier place as my disease progressed. But... You know when I got sober I felt like I was grieving the loss of a friend. So there there was a grieving process. Also as far as you know the causes of of your addiction I love that you touched on that and you know you and I both agree that I was an alcoholic far before I took my first drink or any of of the things that had happened in my life that other people may contribute to my alcoholism that I do not we're born this way, right? And and yes. the work that you do now showcases that so much more.
1: I always knew there was something missing because when uh, back in the late seventies, early eighties—that's when that's when the drinking was at uh, its most—is people didn't understand. It was kind of willpower. It's not a disease. It's a willpower. That's what my dad used to say. Just put yourself together for the children's right. sake. Right. Right. And I couldn't do it. And yet, everything else that I touched me turned of gold. Yeah. You know, and, and everything did my business, my musical career. But I just couldn't stop this darn alcohol. You know, and when I didn't, when I didn't have it, I was miserable. You know, so it was just when I control my drinking, I didn't enjoy it. And when I enjoyed my drinking, I couldn't control it. That's the bottom line. And I'm sure we both know where that comes from. But, you know, that, that was what it's like. So I always knew, you know, there was a missing link. So I studied psychology at Oxford uh, to a certain degree. But when I left Oxford, I kind of turned that around after getting sober. I went back to do a second PhD about eight year nine years ago uh, on behavioral science. And between the two, uh, we were sure that neural pathways could be changed 20 years ago. Now, there's a certain book out there belongs to a certain 12-step that's, that knew it in 1937, 38, when they were writing it. Yes, They called it a psychic change in the medical fraternity. We call it a change of neural pathways. It's the same thing. How did them guys know? But I just knew there was something else. So the mixture of psychology, traditional psychology, new science, new brain science... Behavioral um, and family, put all that together and I came up with a program that's that's second to none. And mm. but it's back in the day, it was very, it's still very out of the box. Yeah. You know, because we can do it on Zoom or face to face. But I, I guarantee people can recover Now, we're the only company in the world, Nick, that offers a money-back guarantee. Nobody does that in the world. Why? Because somebody can't give you a pill in this country or any country or charge you $30,000 to go into a treatment center. And there are some amazing treatment centers out there. But I just detest when Johnny's going in, That's back to the same one for the seventh time, paying the same money. But I just create this program that he's done with education, experience, because we have to have that experience, Nate, as you know, to talk on the subject or work in the field properly, and just a passion to help others. That's why I have a passion as my, my, my mom used to my mom had cancer for many years but it was a known fact after that my homelessness and the chaos that I caught to my children um sped up the, the uh the, the cancer. There's no doubt about that. But the nice thing about all of that when I talk about my past and what we do today, because this ties in nice, is the, the daughter that says Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. Of course I wrote a book and that's the title. Uh, it's also the daughter that got in touch with me three or four years ago, who now is my number one counselor in Rob Kelly Recovery Group, from she runs England, at Manchester office in England. Wow. How cool is that?
0: Wow. I got so chills it, when you said that.
1: <laughs> so, 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 dads out there, or moms, or your own experience dads, you know, if you're going through some stuff or going through some bad times with alcohol and addiction, keep doing the right thing. Get yourself well. You know where to go. It's in, right at the beginning of the phone book. Right, You know where to go and get yourself somebody who's been through that experience and teach you the book and, and, and the, the work that they do. Get your life back, get on track, keep honest, keep simple, and your children that you think you're lost, they'll come looking for you. I promise you.
0: You know, we, we have to want to, to get sober and live this better life for ourselves, right? But I yeah, can only definitely. imagine as definitely. a parent that comes pretty damn close to want, wanting it for yourself.
1: Having your children torn out your arms is like having your heart torn out your chest. The pain will never go away fully. It can never fully be repaired. But if we do the right thing, then the right thing will happen. But yes, Nate, I must stress. Because I've lost my kids. I've cut them off. I had to for my own sanity. Yeah. I couldn't sit every Christmas and birthday crying myself to sleep. I had to cut them off. And alcoholics are very good at that, by the way. Right, then cut them off. So I, I was doing it for me because... I hated the whole, the saying it, sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know something, Nate? I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was homeless. I was beaten. I was bruised. You know, I did a lot of things on them streets I never thought I would do. And I kept lowering the bar lower and lower until it wasn't. The bar was flat on the floor. And and I had not bathed for so long. I would not eaten properly. I dropped down to about 120 pounds. You know, I'm at 270 Count bodybuilder and fighter. I, you don't get to that weight. I just wasn't eating. I was drinking. People, people bullied me. I, you, never, you can't bully me. I'm too strong.
0: <laughs> yeah. but,
1: but I dropped down that much weight that they bullied me. And they took, they took my confidence away, Nate. And they took my self-esteem away, Nate. And finally, they came after me. And I tried to commit suicide eight times. And on two occasions, I succeeded and my heart stopped. And the EMTs brought me back to life again. It's like I couldn't die because I, was, I, I didn't know who I was. I was lonely and sorry. I was lonely and I was, and I was abandoned on the streets. Abandoned, mate. It's a horrible place to be. And it's the alcoholic's worst nightmare. And I've come back to that to be one of the best addiction minds in the world. So they tell me, how is that possible?
0: I was just going to say that ask. that happened for a reason. Yes, that happened for a reason, and you yeah. are fulfilling that today.
1: Well, I people tell me, you know, "Would you change anything the homelessness?" Uh, the homelessness, and I say to them, "Hey." You know, my homelessness and lots of children, all that stuff. It was like a semester at Harvard in my position today. Mm-hmm. The information that I gained, painfully as it may be, gives me the ethos to look at some other people with that same voice and go, I know what you're going through. I know, I know the alcohol and drugs are, are, are ruining you, but I know the heartache that you're suffering because I've been there. And I truly believe that one alcoholic who's been to the depths can win the confidence over. We both know that. But they get to them point straight away that I know your pain. And that from one human being to another is a God gift. It's really a God gift.
0: It really is. And that lived experience is priceless and something that, you know, your wife or your mother or your sister or brother probably don't understand.
1: We can turn turn this world around one alcoholic at a time. And we like to say we save lives today. Yeah, if That's what I mean, the industry is saving lives. And God is the director. I have a God in my life today. I never did that. I never thought I would say that. But something up there has been pointing me in the right direction. Something up there has been keeping me alive for so long. Something up there has made me powerful enough to help another alcoholic and uh, make, meet the, the girl of my dreams that we met six, seven years ago. We have an amazing house. We have three English bulldogs. My wife drives an English car. She's American, and she's married to an English guy. So there's an English theme going on here somewhere. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, but I had someone just before we came on. There was a person that heard me on a podcast, and people don't think I talk to them. People go, "Look at the big company," and you know, I can't get over Doctor Rob, and, and he called, and I answered the phone, and he he was like, "Oh my God, I can't believe it's you." It's like, <laughs> it will always be me. Yes. And we spoke and I'm doing stuff for him and I'm gonna sponsor him. And uh, it's just next minute I'm I'm ready to go. I was feeling great, you know, working Good. with another alcoholic can keep you away from that alcohol, that's for sure.
0: For sure. You mentioned the unconventionality of of some of your practice. And I I think that one of those um, aspects is treating clients in their own living environment as opposed to an inpatient. Facility or the traditional rehab facility, I guess that sometimes we think of. I agree that there is this sort of security blanket that we have when we're locked up in an inpatient facility, and how will I apply these principles in real life? You know, yes. after twenty-eight days. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that.
1: that. That all came about when I kept leaving treatment centers. I kept leaving them. I think I went to eight and drank. On the way home of every eight treatment center So then we did some research into treatment centers as a whole. we we'll are redirect them to good healthy neural pathways. You know, the hypothalamus is always telling an alcoholic to drink. It tells normal people to drink water and eat food. Right. So we're going against that. So all this change in your science, the change and solidify your behaviors in your own environment while you're doing your normal daytime job and coming home. You pick an hour a day, and we're in your house for that hour, and we're we'll, we'll just correcting all them little things. Self-sabotage, uh, negative talk. You know, the guy dropped a pe- the pencil when he first time, he dropped an appointment, I'm sorry, Dr. Robin, I'm an idiot. Stop, stop, stop. So you have to get rid of self-sabotage. You have to go back to the scenes of the crimes. Hmm. You see, alcoholics hear different things. Like me and my brother stood on the kitchen table. My mom walks in, says to my brother, because this is what he hears and this is what she says. Paul, get down off that table. You, you stupid idiot, get down. So he does. Do you know what I hear? Get out of that chair, you stupid idiot. That's what I hear because I have the self-sabotaging brain. That's what people don't, don't recognize. Is we, that's why we, we're, we're very, to ourselves, isolation is our best friend. We're very timid. We talk people quite down to us. We've got no backbone, as some people say. My confidence is shot. My self-esteem is shot. I mean, everything is the, the, the coward man in the corner, you know, with alcohol left and nobody's the friend, and it's getting out of that and standing up and going, no, I am good enough. So I want to say something really quick for the next question. If you're out there right now, thinking that you're not good enough, that you'll never amount to anything, that you shouldn't. I want to, I want to, I want to apologize to you. Somebody's put that there. We're born with million-dollar minds. Stop hanging around 10-cent minds. It won't work. If you hang around with nine depressed people, you, my friends, will become the 10th.
0: Fear, abandonment, and shame, Dr. Rob. Three chords that keep us in our disease, yeah?
1: Definitely. Definitely. And, and when we look at them three words, we look at, we look at fear that runs our life, runs the alcoholic life, fear of everything, fear of the door closing, dropping the game, you know, fear of leaving, abandonment, fear, 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 fear. We live in fear. We have to step out that fear. You either believe in a higher power or you don't. You either believe that you're going to succeed or you don't. Nine times out of ten, the fear that you're in fear of, the actual occasion never happens. And if it does, it's nothing like you think it's gonna happen. So mm. fear's a real hard one. Shame, that comes from my disease. I'm shameful. I uh, through my behavioral science PhD, I can see shame on people's face, the stuff they do, they want to cover up. You know, they're so shameful of what they've been through. We need to throw that out. We've been bring this stigma into our life for so long is we need to get rid of that. You are a sick person. If you had cancer, they wouldn't be ridiculing you like you are now. You have, a, you have a disease it, it, it's it's a biochemical disease that you have where my brain is allergic to the ethanol in alcohol that's the bottom line and people don't know that so when, once we start getting that into the into the light people will realize that a, a sick alcoholic is just as bad as someone dying of cancer or Absolutely. heart disease and we must remember that And abandonment oh wow yeah everybody's trauma abandonment. Mom or dad, even dad living in big houses, dad being too busy at work to come spend quality time with you, that's abandonment, guys. I'm sorry, but it's abandonment if, if there is alcoholism in the family. And there always is. It's abandonment when you go to school and your parents don't pick you up. It's abandonment when you play for the football team and all the other parents there, but your dad's still working. God bless him to give you a good living, which he did, but that's abandonment. And we need to realize this. The abandonment just builds up and builds up and builds up. And we've great because there, there was a young woman snatched off the streets many years ago in England when I was a police officer. And they couldn't find her, 17 years old, big man, hung, hold off, nobody could see her. Nine months later, police car going down the road, would pull this guy over because of broken tailwind. And his car was a stolen screwdriver. So they're allowed to go back to the house, no warrant needed, search for other items that were stolen, which they did. And they found other items that were stolen. But there was a large box in the corner, four foot tall and 12 foot wide. Police officer said, what's in the box? Said, I don't know, I don't, I, it's gotta be stolen stuff. Smashed the lock up, opened the box, and there was that girl that had been taken eight months ago. She was being abused, fed and put back in the box for eight or nine months, mate. Wow. Police woman leant over, she was alive, but she was beaten, stepped out of the box. She took the police coat off and put it around the girl. What's the first thing she did? She got back in the box. And that's what alcoholism is all about. Stop getting back in the box, guys. It's not your comfort zone. There's a big world waiting for you out there, waiting for you to conquer the world. Well, that's impossible, Doctor. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. Waiting for you to conquer the world. Believe me. Like quantum physics tells me I can be on 25 plates at the same time on a basketball court. Me? I'm selfish. I can visualize myself for other no goals. When I get the ball slapped, I'm a hero. How do I get there? Listen up, guys. You walk over and you take that position. What you can visualize in your head, you can hold in your hand. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, guys. You can have that job, that girl. You can have that car, that house. You can work for that company. The only thing that's stopping you doing that is you. Come on.
0: I want to ask you about enabling. Did you find when you know, you had some success in life and there was money and people around you. Was it easier for you to kind of skate through a little bit as far as people not not mentioning maybe your alcoholism as much?
1: Oh, my goodness. Nobody's asked me that question, Nate. <laughs> and it's one of the most wished questions that I would ask. Listen, everybody. Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. Yeah. You think I'm drinking too much, guys? You... No, no, definitely, definitely not, Rob. You're not drinking. Okay. Everybody was on board until until there was no paycheck. Yeah. And then I found out myself and I crashed. And guys, when you crash, it's not a lot of people there to help the fall or break the fall. But in my world, there wasn't. Because I surround myself with yes people. Right. I try not to do that today. You know, I try to surround myself or hire people that will tell me the truth. I'm not. I, I called my sponsor before this morning. Remember off off air, we were talking about what a day I've
0: yeah.
1: had. Yeah. I, I text my sponsor. I'm feeling down, blah, blah, blah. His response wasn't, oh, there, 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 Rob. Maybe if you had a cup of tea, it was all right. He said, "When? when's the last time you worked with somebody? Call an alcoholic now. It just so happens that guy called me, that guy that heard me. Now I feel great. You know, Responsibility yeah. around you. It's good.
0: My sponsor says the same thing. First question. First question is... Have you reached out to anyone? Have you helped someone today? Have you read any literature? Like what work have you put into it to yeah. ch- to change that around?
1: I, I went to a meeting once with a sponsor. And I came out and I said, that was the worst meeting I've ever been to. And he said to me, didn't hear you share. Boom. Same Boom. situation. It's like, ouch.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you could have turned that around. <laughs> How has the practice evolved from you spending an hour in the home of a client to this sort of comprehensive offerage of services today.
1: Just, just a, 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 what what people want. I think. Well, the best thing and the worst thing that happened to addiction was coaches. The best thing is that we don't we don't have to play by the game. My coaches don't play by the rules, just like alcoholism and addiction doesn't play by the rules. Uh, but then everyone wants to be a coach overnight and gets a two hour certificate. Where they right. can da- Damage people. So we have an exclusive staff that all that the call my ET. And we cover, we cover depression, we cover you know divorce, we cover separation, we cover alcohol, drugs, depression, all the stuff that can happen to you is usually around the head, usually around the behavior. And what we've found is there isn't, there isn't behavioral-wise, that is, and you're a pathway and self-sabotage. There isn't an illness you can't get over while you, when you come to this company and, and we, we, we send you a person. 99.9% of our work is telehealth. Has been for nine years. Yeah, everybody overnight was a telehealth provider. Stop it. Well, (laughs) it takes years and years to to work with somebody uh, on a HIPAA compliant software. Right. So yeah, it's it's just experience. It's it's matching up and a desire. You know, I like people who come for a job with us, and they never ask how much an hour is. It. Them guys get hired because they have a passion. They don't care who's going to get paid right Yeah. You know, passion to do this that that's what my guys are they're all passionate they're all ex-alcoholics and addicts recovered every single one of them but the only person that isn't is my wife who who runs the back end she's the outreach director and she does everything in here but everyone else has suffered and been through it and i think when we fundamentally look at the services that we do it doesn't just pertain to alcoholism and addiction the work that we do the self-confidence the confidence building self-sabotaging you know, they're pulling away, making you realize who you really are. Because um, I would be out of work if me, say the patient come tomorrow and he could, we could swap places for 10 minutes, all these problems would be over. Because we never see how amazing we are. We never see the power. We never see ourselves as we do. And, you know, somebody pulled a photograph the other day, Nate, of me and, me and him. And it's something like 10, 20 years ago. He said, Rob, look at this, look at this. I'm like, "What? look at this photograph. Oh, my God, we were thin. <laughs> oh, my God, but, hey, they, those were the days, weren't they, Rob? And I thought, well, they were, but we didn't know that. What if today's one of those days? Right. So why can't we live today as if we were still thin and still young? And what, Why can't we do it? Because we never know when we're doing it. And that's one of our specialities: is making you see you. And the change is phenomenal. If I tell you a lie, you might, you might believe it, you might not. If I tell you often enough, you're going to believe it. But... If I tell you a lie real often enough, I'm going to believe it. Psychology 101, what you hear is what you'll become. And if you had a dad that used to say, you're a piece of crap, you'll never amount to anything, that will be stored for the rest of your life unless you deal with it. So if you don't deal with your trauma, it will deal with you.
0: Is there one fun story you can tell us from Abbey Road?
1: So we are recording one night, and it was thundering and raining. I'm with Elton John and a few of his band members, and I'm sessioning on bass and the uh, generator kept cutting. So before the backup generator came in, it would be a millisecond, but it would matter on the recording. So we start again. So this happened about 10 times and Elton said, we're done. I said, okay, let's go. So he said, come back. So we went back to his hotel, which was the Savoy Hotel in London. At the time, it was the most prestigious hotel in the world. He goes up to the penthouse suite. Oh, Nate, there was me, there was girls, there was guys, there was Coke, there was drink, there was Elton, there's Bowie, I think was it. There was just an amazing atmosphere of, of just craziness. And then I heard Elton screaming from the other room. It's like a bedroom of his. I walked into the bedroom. I said, Elton, what are you doing? He was screaming at the manager downstairs. And he was telling the manager that if he didn't stop, the wind and the rain right now he would never book in that hotel again <laughs> and he, he, was, he was being honest, he was being truthful so they, they didn't know what to do they said okay okay uh, okay okay we'll do yeah, what do you no say phone to that? Phone down. <laughs> I know it was craziness and then I realized what world goes in right it was just a crazy world of just getting away with stuff you should never get away with because I have to look at pop stars today or film stars and go, you know, if they didn't have a career, they would never get a partner. They are so ugly. They are just aggressive. They are just, you know, but they do. And once someone sees you on TV, it's crazy. They, they think it is this higher power of, no, it's not. Everyone has crazy times. The Everyone.
0: ego. The ego is, is. Yes. Can be dangerous.
1: Yes, it can. Yes. And sometimes in my game, it's really hard. Sometimes I've been guilty of getting into that, believing what other people say, believing what the, 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 the uh, internet says, believing what I hear back from this, this, this. And I can get a little bit above myself. But what I've done for the last probably eight years is I've never watched anything. I've never heard anything that I do. Because I don't want to, I might believe that. I might start believing that. Hack yeah. That people say, you're amazing, Doctor Rob. You're mm-hmm. like a god, Doctor. I don't need to listen to that because my subconscious, egoistic brain will go, "Oh yeah, you are, Rob. That, that's exactly who you are." And you don't want to be going to the meetings where that guy's a mechanic. Oh no, you're, you're better than that, Rob. And what happens? I'm mean, in hospital, drunk. So I've got to be really careful.
0: Yeah. What are you grateful for today, Doctor Rob?
1: I'm grateful for you. Oh, wow. I'll tell you why. That's not just something I have just come out with. I'm grateful that I'm on your show today. I'm grateful for the work that you do. It's very, very powerful. I've listened to previous shows. You have a great following. And you are the man, as far as that's concerned. You've stood up and you've been a leader in, a, in a organization, an organization, and industry that doesn't like leaders and wants to put us down. And it's hard to stand up. And sometimes it's a lonely walk. And sometimes, well, and all the time, you get no thanks for it, you know, so I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for my wife, who also turned my day around today. I'm grateful for my three English bulldogs that are always with, and my two cats, and the house that we live in, and the friends that I have. And I don't really want to say I'm grateful, for, um, I'm grateful for being sober, because I thank God for being sold many years ago. I, mean, I always think it's like a little kid. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, I said no, thank you. Everything's good. All he said is doing my work. Work with my kids, you'll be okay have an amazing life. I have everything I want and everything I need. And I've seen way, way too many miracles for one person in this, you know, alcoholic arena. I've seen way too many miracles happen. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful.
0: It's hard to deny it, right? When you see so many miracles.
1: It is. It really is. You know, it really is. You just got to put your hands down and go, you know something? There's no such thing as coincidences.
0: (laughs) Wow. That is my... (laughs) Oh, that is the mantra that I have lived by and been saying to my business partner 10 times a day for the last two months since we've started this journey together. There are no coincidences, and we, I think, cannot end it on a more perfect note. Dr. Rob Kelly, thank you for your time today. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Let's keep in touch, my friend. I would love to build a relationship and uh, perhaps do some more things in the future
1: together. Definitely. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Nate.
0: Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Huge thank you to Dr. Rob Kelly for your time and willingness to share your story today. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you, and if we help just one person, our job is done. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at sobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast, and on Instagram at the Sobriety Diaries Pod. Check back soon for new episodes with new stories to tell, but until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye friends.